This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. everybody. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is episode 25, and I'm going to talk about urolithiasis. I put up a, a little vote thing on my Instagram last week, maybe, and asking what the next episode should be about, and it was a close vote, uh, but urolithiasis, urinary calculi, uh, beat out neonatal goat kids by, I think, about 10%. So that is what today's podcast topic is going to be. Um, before I get started, just like the usual housekeeping stuff, um, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for things you'd like to hear about or just want to say hi, you can always contact me at my email address, which is goat.cara at gmail.com. It's G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc, uh, on Twitter at goat.cara, um, and the website is goatdoc.com. And I'm going to make an effort. I'm making an effort to be better about social media these days, um, trying to kind of share a little bit more what I do on a regular basis between my vet life and my goat dairy, goat raising life. So if you're into seeing what's going on, Come find me on social media, probably mostly Instagram these days. I tend to not do the Facebook too, too much. Um, I got a little overwhelmed with it last year and uh, backed off a little bit. But uh, yeah, so come say hi. And I appreciate everybody who continues to check in on Apple Podcasts and take a minute to rate and review. Um, that's one of the better ways to get the podcast more visible in iTunes when people are looking for a podcast. So I appreciate that. If you can take a second to rate and review, that's awesome. Um, and also just like share with your friends. If you know somebody that's into goats and would like to listen to somebody talk about goats while doing stuff, that is great. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts like all the time, driving around, cleaning the barn, whatever. Um, so that's how I started listening to podcasts and, uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. Uh, I've got a couple of other episodes I'm working on at the moment. Um, I sat down with a client who is more involved in the American Dairy Goat Association performance programs than I am and knows more about it. And uh, we talked about milk tests uh, last week, and I'm going to have to have some time to edit that and get it all you know organized and presentable, and then I'll be posting that. Um, and I have a friend from vet school who's going to be visiting the area in early June and I'm super excited to see her. And I, of course, immediately nerded out when I was texting her and I was like, 
can we get together and do a podcast about something goat related? Um, she's very into like public health and she works for the OIE and I'm super excited to have that episode coming up. So those things are on the way. I'm probably going to do some more like polling the audience on Instagram and things like that and asking what you guys would like to hear about. And those of you who have emailed, especially if you emailed about coughing goats, I will, I promise I'll talk about coughing goats. Coughing anything, like any of the techs that I work with, know that anything that comes in coughing, I'm just like, ugh, it's the worst. Um, and coughing goats are often frustrating, but I will, I promise I'll do an episode about coughing goats. It's not going to be right now though. I'm going to have to do a little prep work for that. Um, and I did do a little prep work for urolithiasis for you guys since you, you know, you requested it and I wanted to have this hopefully be a helpful episode. Um, as you can tell, I'm not in the truck at the moment. I uh, this was probably the first day I've had off in like, I think I had a one day off about a week ago and I've been going. It's that time of the year. Um, but my husband's milking the goats and I said, can I go record a podcast episode? And he said, yeah, of course. So here I am. And going to get into the meat of the episode now. As always, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice, medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary and client patient relationship with your local vet. So urolithiasis, um, what does that word mean? Euro has to do with urine. That's euro, like U-R-O, not E-U-R-O, like the the European monetary unit, U-R-O, having to do with urine. Lith, meaning stone. And iasis is like a process. So this would be like the process of stones or grit forming in the urinary bladder. Uh, this can also be called... Uh, urinary calculi. So calculi are like the little crystals, the little um, concretions that build up in the bladder. Um, other thing people, th- other things, excuse me, that you might hear people refer to uh, like a blocked weather um, or obstructive urolithiasis. Um, what other terminology here? I think that that kind of covers it. Probably mostly you would hear people referring to like a blocked weather. Um, when I was in vet school and this was probably one of the more common issues that goats would come into the large animal hospital with, especially pet weathers. Um, you know, the staff would say that, you know, whoever answered the phone would be like, okay, there's a blocked goat coming in. And that's what it is. It's a urinary, urinary blockage. Um, and urolithiasis means that that is due to urinary grit, stones. There's often like mucus and um, like inflammatory cells involved, um, but something is plugging the ability of the animal to excrete urine from its urinary bladder. So kind of as usual, I'm going to break it down a little bit 
in terms of the physiology. Let, let me know if you guys don't like this. I like talking about physiology. I like talking about medicine. I like knowing how things work. If this is like too much, let me know. I could break these episodes up into like part one, um, like the physiology and the nitty gritty. And then part two, like, what do you actually need to look for and know, um, in the moment, but this one, I'm going to put it all together. So normally, um, in normal urine, there is, there are minerals, um, excreted in urine. Um, there's calcium, magnesium, sodium, and potassium are normally like normal products that if the body's like, I've got enough of that. Thanks. It's going to put it out in the urine. There's extra, um, And when, for whatever reason, if it's like diet or dehydration or whatever, I'm going to talk about things that kind of cause this to happen in a second, but whenever those may be in excess in the urine, for whatever reason, um, they form crystals. So those different elements, calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, the most common ones, um, they kind of glom onto each other because that is the nature of their elemental, like going back to general chemistry, like how many electrons are in that outside thing, whatever. Um, they stick to each other, um, because of their charges, salts, you know, kind of glom onto each other. And then, um, they can form crystals. Those crystals can be microscopic. So that's not an issue because microscopic things should normally just go out of the bladder and be fine. Um, but as they become more and more saturated, those crystals start to grow bigger. So if you can think about, you know, kind of a, there's probably some videos. I'll see if there's videos on YouTube or whatever of crystals forming, but I know there's videos of like ice crystals forming. So you could think of it in that way, like, except instead of water, this is these normal things that are in urine, but if they're in excess, they stick together, they build these crystals, they get bigger and bigger, precipitate out of the liquid of the urine and form salt. Um, Or, yeah, sometimes it can really look like salt. Sometimes it doesn't look like salt at all. I'll talk about that when I talk about the types of crystals. But, I mean, a way to think about this, like the things precipitating out of urine, um, is thinking thinking about a solution. So a solution in chemistry is liquid with stuff mixed into it. And the solution has, um, when it's... It can be saturated with stuff, and in that case, all the stuff is still in a liquid form. But if you either add more stuff to the solution or you take water away, then the stuff comes out of the solution. That's called precipitating out of the solution. And then you have a solid and you have liquid. Um, If you think about like salt water or if you've ever made like rock candy with sugar, if you have, or if you ever just like (laughs) one time, I think I made um, simple syrup to have around for like making coffee and, and I put it in a jar and forgot about it. So then eventually the simple syrup is like a super saturated uh, sugar water basically. And uh, 
I left it in the cupboard and then I had this jar that was full of big old sugar crystals on the bottom. Uh, same thing with salt water. Like if you take salt water and you get, you want sea salt, you take salt water, you evaporate off all the water and then you have salt. So those are, those are examples. This is a kind of the same, the same idea. Um, things. So like why, you know, all, all urine has stuff in it, but things that become cause it to become a problem or when these crystals form and then they plug up the urethra which is the tube that goes out of the bladder to the outside and that is an important thing to do because we need to get rid of urine it's full of waste products that if they build up in the body you feel crummy um so things that can contribute to the formation of crystals calculi uroliths are dehydration so like the salt salt water like sea salt you take the water away the crystals form so if you have an animal that is not drinking doesn't like to drink or is being bullied away from water that animal is going to be not putting extra water into its urine its urine is going to be more concentrated and it is going to be more likely to form crystals calculi um, there seems to be maybe a breed disposition for this um, in the literature or um, in anecdotal experience. Pygmy goats maybe are a little bit more prone to this. I don't see a lot of pygmy goats in my neck of the woods. I do see a lot of Nigerian dwarf goats. And, um, you know, I've I've been in New England for most of my life Um so I, that kind of population is similar. When I was in vet school, if we had a blocked goat, I was very prepared for it to be like a fat little Nigerian dwarf weather. Um, but any, any breed of goat can be blocked. Uh, the physical characteristics of the goat. Um, there's a couple things about the anatomy of male goats that makes them more prone to being blocked. Uh, one is that they have what's called the urethral process. I'll get some good like anatomy pictures together for the show notes to show these things. But on the tip of the male goat's penis is this little thing. Um, I always, and I'm doing it right now. I always like hold my pointer finger out. They've got this thing, uh, and called the urethral process, or I think he calls also called the vermiform appendage. Um, and it's this little like teeny worm looking thing. And that's why the vermiform, I'm, I've got to look that up. I don't think I'm making that up. Um, just the end of the urethra. So that's like the very tip of it before that's where the urine comes out. Is, it's just like narrow. It's very small. Um, so that's a good place for stuff to get stuck. Um, and then the other thing is further up um, the urethra, more towards the bladder, uh, goats and sheep and cows, I think all the ruminants have this thing that's called a sigmoid flexure. And that is this S-shaped curve um, that... It's it's there, and I, if I recall correctly, there's muscles involved that 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 flexure allows them to extend their penis. So if you've ever seen a buck, um, or weather sometimes do this too, but more often bucks when they're especially when they're in the rut, they stick their penis out from their prepuce and 
pee all over themselves, whatever. But that part of the penis that is covered in mucosa and like, you know, the pink mucosal surface that's usually up in the prepuce, they got to get it out um, in order to breed does. So that's um, that sigmoid flexure is part of that. But also because it's like this little tight S curve, that is a good place for stuff to get hung up and uh, blocked. The other thing about the sigmoid flexure is that it makes it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to pass a retrograde urinary catheter. So that means if I, like, another animal that I see often that is a blocked animal is a cat, like a male cat. And uh, what we do with male cats is we pass a urinary catheter. So a retrograde retrograde means like going backwards of the normal way things go. So urine usually goes from the bladder to the outside. That's normal. Um, And then retrograde would be from the outside to the bladder. So in a male cat, I will place a urinary catheter if I have to, if they're blocked. For a male goat that is blocked, I honestly don't even try because that S curve is like, you're not going to get around it. Um, So that also makes it challenging. Um, Let me see. Um, Another thing to think about with physical characteristics of being blocked is um, considering whether that is a, a castrated animal or an intact animal. There's some research I don't think there's primary research in goats, but there is, I believe, in sheep. Well, I know there is in sheep, and I believe there is in cows as well, that testosterone influences the size, the diameter of the urethra. So testosterone makes the urethra bigger, wider diameter, and wider diameter means that uh, calculi, stones, grit, what have you, are going to have to be bigger before they get stuck in the urethra. So also if you have a weather and you have an idea when he was castrated, that can be helpful information. Um, And then the other thing is that sometimes it's kind of a crapshoot. You can have two like pet weathers who are brothers from the same, um, like full brothers born at the same time. And one will develop urinary calculi and one will not. And that's just probably individual metabolism variance. Uh, like we don't know why, but that guy's going to make stones and his brother is not. So that's, uh, those are kind of the things that we know about why, why goats do this. Um, there's different, one of the big things talking about uh, urolithiasis is that it's very, it can be very diet related. Um, and depending where you are located geographically, uh, you may have concerns about certain kinds of urinary calculi or crystals over others. I'm going to talk about like the less common ones, and then I'm like going to just kind of focus on the real common one over like for the rest of the episode. Uh, less commonly um, are silica crystals. I, if I recall correctly, those are like super cool looking. They have, they're like spiky. Um, you, you like never see them. Um, at least 
on the East Coast for sure. Um, some grasses are just high in silica. Um, that's mostly predominantly the Western United States and Canada. So like Western North America, I've never had to deal with them. Um, and there's not a lot you can do to prevent them um, besides promote a lot of drinking water. Um, if you've only got access to forage that's from an area that's high in silica, that's going to be hard. Uh, calcium carbonate crystals are less common. I did see these in a fat little Nigerian dwarf weather <laughs> in vet school. Um, and I remember because the actual calculi were super cool. They look, they look like little gold BBs. Um, these are from high calcium diets. Um, alfalfa is known to be high in calcium. Um, clover, maybe, maybe less so, but, uh, You'd have to be feeding a lot of alfalfa, um, but those and those ones can be hard because they're difficult to dissolve, if I recall correctly. But they look super cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, calcium oxalate, um, and then those come from plants with oxalates. And a lot of the plants with oxalates, like my goats, wouldn't eat these things. Um, rhubarb, pigsweed, lamb's quarters. Though, like my goats have turned their noses up. I think the only thing that they, well, there's definitely lots of pigweed around. My dog, my goats definitely don't eat that. Um, I don't have a big rhubarb patch, but I think goats have been offered like a bite of a rhubarb before rhubarb leaf and they did not want it. Uh, peanuts. Um, so I'm not, I'm honestly not sure if that, I know some people talk about like peanut hay. Um, I'm not sure this is actual peanuts or peanut hay, but just to be aware of. Um, so trying to be aware if those are a primary thing in your animal's diet. Those like weedy things, rhubarb, pigs, weed, lambs, quarters, like goats, I think are going to have to be feeling pretty desperate to eat those. Um, and so making sure they're provided something else. Probably the most common uh type of stone is called a struvite, uh, which is magnesium ammonium phosphate. These are really common in small animals too, um, but for different reasons. The struvites are uh, more common in animals eating a high grain diet. Um, and they are, a high grain diet is generally low in calcium and high in phosphate. So that's like, that's just kind of the nature of it. Um, the, this is, so like the other things that I mentioned with diet related things, this, is, this is super common. The other interesting thing that I learned while doing uh, some notes for this show was that um, the other thing that happens that can predispose ruminants in particular to make struvite crystals is that if they're eating a lot of grain, um, they're getting a lot of calories from their grain, then they're eating, like, by definition, they're going to be eating less hay. So thinking about what how a ruminant processes its feed, um, grain needs less rumination than hay and forage. So if they're ruminating less, they're chewing their cud less, basically, because they're getting their calories from something that doesn't require a lot of rumination then um, they are salivating less. So ruminants make a huge amount of saliva. Um, 
and you don't usually notice because usually they just swallow it and you know, you don't pay any attention. But if you ever have like a goat that's sedated and if you're with me, then I'm super paranoid about making sure their head is down so they do not aspirate their own saliva because all of that saliva is just going to pool in their mouth and uh, I want it to pool and head to the outside of their mouth rather than down their throat and potentially down their trachea where they could aspirate and get pneumonia. But anyway, why I'm talking about saliva is because uh, phosphorus is also excreted in saliva. If the animal is ruminating less, then it is getting rid of less phosphorus in its saliva. So it is already eating a diet that is higher in phosphorus, and it's getting rid of less phosphorus because it is salivating less. So the body's like, oh my God, what do I do with all this stuff? And it puts it in the urine where it is going to make crystals. Interesting little fun fact there. Um, yeah, so those are the, those are the kinds of crystals. Um, in general, um, the best way to deal with this stuff is to be aware of it and prevent it. Um, so there's a few things to consider. Um, and some of them may seem like common sense, but more and more in my life, I realize that things that maybe should go without saying, maybe need to be said. So it seems obvious, sorry. Uh, in general, to prevent urinary stones, thinking back to we're trying to prevent these minerals from precipitating out of the liquid of the urine, the solution that is urine. Uh, so if the water or if the urine is more dilute, it is going to be more capable of holding those things in, in suspension, in solution, and it is not going to, they're not going to be able to precipitate out because there's plenty of water to hold it. So how do we keep plenty of water to hold it? We encourage drinking. Uh, pr plenty of fresh, clean water should be available to these animals, to any animal all the time. Um, but like, think about your water. Um, I've seen some pretty scary water setups for livestock <laughs> in, in my, in my travels. Um, like think about, would, would you drink that water? You know, um, is, is it full of algae and bugs and poop or is it in a nice clean bucket? Is it winter and it's frozen? Is it summer and it's in the black like, you know, trough that's out in the sun and it's super hot. These like, think about your water. Is it getting refreshed every day? My goats get their water refreshed at least twice a day. I talked about in the winter goat keeping episode that my animals that have like the way the barn set up the animals that can have a heated water bucket do have a heated water bucket and the animals that do not, or if the animals are naughty and they like pull the plug out, then we just don't give them the opportunity to pull, pull the plug out and we bring them warm water twice a day. So in the winter, um, keeping hydrated is just as important as in the summer. Um, I love to see my goats chugging water any time of the year. Um, think about your herd dynamics. Uh, 
is somebody getting bullied and not allowed or too afraid to go near the water? Um, is there a group of goats that's mean to this other poor goat and gets, um, you know, he doesn't hear your, sh- well, he is the important one for, for Uraliths, but, um, he does, if, so if he doesn't get to drink as often as he maybe would like to, he's going to be in a state of, you know, borderline dehydration and more likely to make crystals. I've been really lucky, Knockwood, that I haven't had to deal with a lot of urolithiasis in my herd personally. I did have to have a buck euthanized when I was in vet school, but it was exactly the situation that I'm talking about with the herd dynamics because this was the young buck. He was the low man on the totem pole. He was kind of like, he was pretty laid back. He wasn't um, like a big personality buck. So the other bucks were jerks to him and he would prefer to stay out and away from them. And he didn't have access to water as often as he would like. So he, he did end up having uh, urinary blockage and was euthanized uh, because he also had a urethral rupture, which I will talk about. Um, also, if you have animals that are out long distances, if it's a long ways to the barn, maybe consider putting a water out where the animals are. Um, if they have to come all the way back, they might not do it. Uh, <laughs> just like people be like, oh, it's inconvenient. I'm thirsty, but it's inconvenient. I'm just going to stay here. Uh, things like automatic waterers, make sure they work, make sure nothing's frozen, make sure nothing is shocking animals. Um, you know, think about and just ask yourself, would I drink that water? It was a lot of talking about drinking water. Um, you can, to also promote uh, intaking more water, you can add salt to the diet or if you're going to provide a salt block to your your weathers, uh, you can just provide a white salt block to if your goal is to promote um, water intake rather than like a mineral, like a red mineral block or a, a selenium mineral block. Um, thinking about diet, if you do have a blocked goat and um, by whatever re- whatever method you do get stones retrieved, you can get them analyzed um, and know exactly what they are and then make adjustments. Um, there is, uh, so then other prevention, uh, people like to talk about ammonium chloride mostly a lot. Um, so what is ammonium chloride? It's a, a different kind of salt. Um, it's, and the, the ammonium part, you know, is ammonia is a normal part of urine. Um, and chloride isn't, you know, another usually goes with sodium. So the, the, the by, by feeding, Ammonium chloride, um, that product is going to change the pH of the urine and make crystals less likely to form. So this is going to be like way back in the recesses of my Gen Chem memory. Um, But if you have a higher pH, so that's, or sorry, (laughs) a lower pH um, urine, um, and for, for prevention 
of uroliths, the goal pH for urine is five and a half to six and a half. So that's a, just a little bit on the acidic side. Urine normally is like pretty neutral, maybe, and it can go either way, a little bit acidic, a little bit basic, but neutral is seven. Um, so a little bit acidic is five and a half to six and a half. That's the goal pH for preventing urinary calculi. Um, and this work does work for struvites. Uh, but uh, so high, lower, I keep saying it because lower pH has a higher amount of hydrogen in it. Um, and this is just has to do with the way the, the atoms interact with each other and hydrogens are sticking on there and um, interfering with the ability of these things to stick together and form these salts. So um, there's different ones out there. Like I said, ammonium chloride is probably the most common one that's talked about. Uh, there's a product called BioClor, um, and there's a small animal product called Euroease. Um, I, I haven't used any of these except ammonium chloride myself. Um, so ammonium chloride comes as like a salt. It's like a, a granule, like looks like like table salt or something like that. Um, it's not the same color, but like that texture. And feeding that with food, whatever, um, is going to acidify the urine and make crystals and calculi less likely to form. This is also why, like, if you ever had a dog or a cat that had bladder stones, dogs in particular um, that have had bladder stones, they, I think... Almost invariably, I recommend that they go on a prescription diet, and the goal of the prescription diet is to prevent more stones from forming. Um, so this is kind of the same idea, acidifying the urine, preventing the crystals from forming. Um, the interesting thing about goats, though, is that it seems as though when we feed these urinary acidifiers, particularly ammonium chloride, if they get fed every single day, all the time forever, then the body is just like, meh, I don't care about that anymore. I'm not going to make my urine acidic and I'm going to make it go back to neutral. And then they may be prone to making stones again. So this is not like the be all end all. It's like, oh, I'm worried about it. I'm just going to feed ammonium chloride all the time and everything is going to be great. Not necessarily. Um, there was a paper, uh, not too, too long ago that I think a student or a grad student or somebody did where they fed ammonium chloride and they measured urine pH and seven days into feeding ammonium chloride, the urine pH went back to normal. So however they do it, their body is like, I don't care about that anymore. And you're feeding the ammonium chloride, but it's not really doing anything. Um, so the recommendation from that paper was to do pulsing of ammonium chloride. And this is what I recommend to my clients is giving ammonium chloride with whatever food, however to give it. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and giving it three days on four days off. So I'm like, give it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then off for the rest of the week. And then give it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and off for the rest of the week. Um, the other concerns about the, well, the other concern about this is that um, urinary acidifiers can, and I don't, 
I didn't look up the physiology of this. I probably will because it's the kind of thing that I think is cool. But um, if they're on it forever, um, this change of pH can contribute to calcium being mobilized from bones, and that can lead to osteoporosis. Um, so what I recommend is pulsing the ammonium chloride, like I said, three days on, four days off. And I do not recommend the grain that just has it because, again, like I said, if they're getting it all the time, it's probably not doing anything. Um, the other thing you can do is you can get like pH paper strips and you can check the urine if you're curious or if you like data. Um, your goal pH is five and a half to six and a half. You just get those little paper strips. They change color. You match them up to the thing. Like if you ever checked your your fish tank water parameters, um, and then you have some idea. Um, yeah. So that's that's those. Oh yeah. The other thing I was gonna say about that is so how do I give them the ammonium chloride? Um, like I said, I haven't ever really given it very much knockwood um it's it's worked out for me um but you can give it with like a little handful of grain but i just spent all that time talking about like how a high grain diet is like a double whammy for your struvites with the calcium and phosphorus and then the lack of salivating um so if you do not want to do grain you can do something like take your ammonium chloride and mix up a batch of it, do some math, figure out how much you want to give, all that stuff, and mix it up with some juice, um, apple juice, cranberry juice, something like that. And goats will be like, ooh, I like that. And um, you can give it to them by syringe. Um, And often they'll be like, sweet, that's a fun treat. And then they'll look for it. And that makes your life really easy. Um... So preventing struvites, reducing grain, um, that calcium phosphorus thing, um, you, this is, this is important in the, of your calcium phosphorus ratio being two to one. Um, and that's really looking at your diet and analyzing it. I already talked about making sure they're drinking water. Um, that's like super important. Let's see. So then in the fields, in real life, what does urinary obstruction look like? If I am talking to somebody on the phone about a weather that's not acting right, that one of the first things I'm going to ask is, have you seen him urinate? Because that is like probably the number one thing that I'm worried about in weather that is ADR. And ADR is something we say in the vet field that sounds like a fun medical abbreviation, but stands for ain't doing right. Um, these guys are going to look uncomfortable. Their abdomen may be uncomfortable. The thing that is really a giveaway is they posture to urinate. Uh, so they'll stand with their feet all parked out um, and kind of look like they're trying to do something, um, but nothing comes out. Um, sometimes they yell about it. Um, and yeah, that's... Uh, kind of a, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, sometimes they don't want to eat that maybe lay down more than they should or more than they normally do. ADR trying to pee, nothing's coming out like your blocked cat. That's going to the litter box all the time and not nothing's coming out. They have the urge to urinate, but they are unable to, and that's super uncomfortable. 
Um, in goats, I will try to, when I'm examining these guys, I'll either flash them with an ultrasound to look for their bladder and see if it's a big old bladder or I, in the smaller goats, harder in the big guys, I think, but possible. Um, but in the small goats, it can absolutely feel a nice, big, firm, round bladder if they're blocked. A urinary obstruction, call it UO as well. Um, in the field is an emergency for any species. Your cat that's going to the, your, the litter box and trying to pee and yelling and not being able to pee is an emergency. Um, your goat that's trying to pee and is yelling and posturing and unable to pee, that is an emergency. Um, there, the, the things that can happen if it is not addressed are um, renal damage, so that urine is stuck in the bladder. It starts to back up um, up the ureters, which lead up to the kidneys where the urine is produced and um, can cause hydronephrosis, uh, which is like pressure damage to the kidneys because it's, you know, does physically alters the, um, the structure of the kidneys. And you need your kidneys to work. Um, going downstream from the bladder, you can have urethral rupture. Uh, so I mentioned that happened to one of my bucks when I was in vet school. Um, and I was happened to be on Instagram and found some really great pictures from another vet on Instagram um, and asked her if I could share those photos. So I will link those in the show notes showing just like what that damage looks like uh, when it happens. Um if, a, if the urethra is ruptured, it's very, very difficult to fix. Um, that lining of the urethra um, keeps the urine in. So if that's damaged, it's you know there's there's different surgical salvage procedures for that, but it's pretty darn hard for that to work again. Um, and then the, the last thing that can happen is if the bladder is overfilled, then it can rupture. It's like a water balloon that got filled too much. Um, and what that looks like is you have this goat that is um, obstructed, distressed, trying to pee, unable to, vocalizing, and then suddenly it seems fine. Um, and it's not. Now its abdomen is full of urine. Um, those things can be saved Um You know, surgery can be done to repair the bladder, but you've got to fix the urethra as well. Um, So if you have a goat that is blocked, you need to call your vet. Um, What I will do with these guys once I have diagnosed them is in the field, I, I will sedate them and I will amputate the urethral process. That's pretty much as far as I will go in the field. And I always talk with people about that. If that doesn't work, then you're looking at like surgery in the hospital um, because the blad- the urine needs to get out of the bladder. There's some kind of cool things that um, can buy you some time. And I haven't had to do these yet, um, but I should have these things around. Um, you can kind of do like a percutaneous catheter so that going into the abdomen into the bladder and then that can let the let some of the urine out until you can get that animal to surgery and have a more um a more permanent solution um 
So yeah, there's 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 some options, but really often these these guys need anesthesia and they need surgery if the if so if the blockage when I was talking about anatomy, that urethral process is a is a key place for things to get stuck. They don't need that urethral process, so you can snip it off and if they pee, then that is awesome. And it's super satisfying when that happens. <laughs> Um, I've had a couple good ones with probably struvites because the little tips of those uh, urethral processes were just full of grit and you snip it off and then they pee and it's great. Um, but if, uh, you know, I mentioned the next likely place is that sigmoid flexure, which is further up, that needs surgery. That guy needs anesthesia. He needs some kind of surgical option. Um, surgical options not going to get into these too much detail. It's going to depend on the surgeon who's performing them and the, the animal's history. Like, is it a first time offender? Is this something that's happened before? What's, what's the plan for hopefully long-term management? Um, tube cystotomy, uh, puts a tube from the urinary bladder under the skin to the outside to give the urethra a chance to rest, um, and hopefully you can also flush it out while they're under anesthesia. Um, a PU is a perineal urethrostomy. So that is taking the urethra just below the anus and making a hole into the urethra. Um, so pee urine is going to come out just below the anus rather than at the tip of the penis. That whole penis is like no longer needed. Um, and uh, sometimes the penis can be removed as well, but in goats I've seen it hasn't been um, whatever, whatever, whatever works. Um, so that can be a long-term management thing. Like if there's big crystals that are stuck in that penis in that sigmoid flexure, then a PU can be a good option. Um, bladder. The other thing is maybe bladder marsupialization. So that is taking the bladder and making an opening from the outside of the body into the inside of the bladder. So that like effectively makes the whole urethra, the whole path from the bladder out through the penis, like, not necessary anymore because urine is just going to collect and dribble out through the bladder. These all have different like management issues and things like that. Um, depending on how the animal is doing, how long it has been blocked, um, the, these surgeries aren't without risk. Um, the inability to get rid of those things that are normally in urine, particularly potassium, uh, can really mess up, especially the heart and make anesthesia, uh, more risky, um, bladder can rupture, kidney damage. Um, and the thing to think, remember with all these guys is that they have a high likelihood of reobstructing, um, the, the, we ta I talked about these management things to do. Um, those need to be vigilantly done um, in order for these guys to hopefully not reobstruct. Um, so managing it for a lifetime, just like just like in the dogs that had stones and had them removed. Went on the I had a, a dog patient that had stones, had them removed, went on the diet, 
for a few years. And then the owner's like, oh, I'm not going to feed that. He seems fine. And then came back and took an x-ray and there were some stones again. So that was a big old bummer. Um, being aware that these guys have a high likelihood of reobstructing, they may need additional surgery. Um, and yeah, it's uh, something to be aware of. And people like to feed their pets, all their pets. People like to feed their pets things that they like. Um, I would encourage you to find other things besides grain that your goats like, like carrots or apple pieces. The same thing <laughs> I encourage owners of overweight dogs to feed their dogs, um, something that they enjoy that is hopefully not going to, uh, cause, uh, uh, this imbalance in their, um, intake and make them more prone to making urinary calculi. Um, hay stretcher, meat pulp. These things are generally benign and goats can like them. I think, that's about it for this. I think I talked about all the things. Um, if you have any questions, if there's anything I didn't cover talking about urolithiasis, um, please feel free to shoot me an email. And I think this ended up being kind of a long episode. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, goat.cara at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram, goat underscore doc. I'm trying to put more stuff on there so come say hi and that makes me more likely to put more stuff on there uh that's gonna do it for now i'll talk to you guys next time